so Revelation chapter 8 and 9. And I'm going to kind of read a bit and explain a bit and read a bit more and sort of as we go rather than just the reading and then then the talk. So we're starting in chapter 8, verse 1. And I say the introduction, if you've not been in Revelation before, the key thing to know is this is not a video of the future. This is a vision about the future. So it's it, John is seeing things in the kind of way that you might wake up from a nightmare. So someone has said it's more Picasso than it is Pentax. And it's not something that you would capture on actual cine film, but it's the kind of artist's impression that would really give you give you nightmares. Well, in fact, it, it is a bit of a nightmare, John, a vision that John has. So that's the intro. And we're in chapter eight, verse one. When the lamb, that is Jesus in his vision, when Jesus opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Um, we're, we're about to look at the trumpets and the whole chapters are divided into trumpets one to seven. You might remember if you were here last time that there were seven seals that John was um, opening on a scroll. Um, so I just want to go back back a couple of steps. This scroll represents God's plans for the rest of human history. And it is I should have got a visual aid, but you know what a scroll looks like. You know, it's like a, a bit of paper and then you roll it up and then you seal it with blobs of wax so that no one apart from the intended recipient can open it. So God's plans for human history, his blueprint for how it's going to all end, is tightly rolled up and sealed. And then in chapter six and seven, one by one, the seals start to be peeled off and we get to sort of glimpse inside, a bit like you might open the corner of an envelope to try and sneak a peek inside. And the, the seals are gradually opened and then the seventh seal is opened. And then without kind of opening and reading the scroll, as the next stage of anticipation, we begin to blow trumpets to announce or to herald what is about to be in the scroll. So we've opened it, we're trumpeting it, and then as we get later in Revelation, we'll read actually what is going to happen at the climax of, of history. So it's kind of unfolding drama. But the thing I want us to notice here as we start is who blows this trumpets and why. Because when we look at the trumpets, we're going to discover that all sorts of horrors come at the bidding of a trumpet. All sorts of disasters, terrible, terrible things happen as a result of these trumpets. Who blows the trumpets and why? Just look down yourself at chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. And you'll see that the trumpets are given, verse 2, they're given to the seven angels who stand before God to serve him so these aren't satan's trumpets or they're not sort of chaotic trumpets by um, annoyed musicians who've been out of work at the covent garden for a while these are divine trumpets they're the trumpets of god's attendants his angels 
He is blowing the trumpets. Well, he is sending them to blow the trumpets. They come from God. He's in charge. He's directing it. And why do they blow them? Well, it's a it's a temple scene here. Um, you imagine God's throne room in the temple, and they're coming as the priest did in the Jewish Old Testament. They're coming to offer incense before God in the temple, and the the incense rises to God, and he he enjoys the smell of the um, of the incense. But notice in verse four. The smoke of the incense rises before God with the prayers of the saints. So again, remember, this is not a video. This is an image. But in the image, you've got incense mixed with prayers. And then the prayers rise up and they reach God's nostrils. But we know what the prayers are. We're told in the previous um, couple of chapters earlier um, in chapter six, verse 10. They are the prayers of those who've been killed for being Christians, those who've been persecuted for their faith. And their prayer is this, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So um, think, well, in the first century, think um, Stephen, he was stoned to death for his faith in Jesus. Think James, who was beheaded for his testimony for Jesus. Think the guy called Antipas, who's mentioned earlier in Revelation, who was killed for his faith. Um, think throughout the centuries of people whose faith has cost them their life. Think of um, Christian villages in Syria when Islamic State turns up. And because you're a Christian village, they're going to kill you all. Um, in unspeakable ways and crucifixions and all sorts of horrible things. Think of uh, the church around the world that is persecuted. And they're, they're asking that question. Actually, a lot of people ask this. They go, where is God in all the suffering? You know, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God do something when we're in such pain? But this is that question asked by Christians, asked by those who know God. Lord, why don't you do something about this? Are you going to just let people murder Christians? Are you going to let there be martyrs? How long before you step in? And these prayers pictured by John as mixed with the incense is rising up to God's nostrils. And as he smells it, or as he hears them, the prayers, then the angel took the censer, fills it with fire, throws it down, there's thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And then... <laughs> These trumpets are the beginning of the answer to that prayer. Lord, how long before you show your vengeance against those who've trampled your people? How long before there's justice? Lord, do something. And say so God begins to do something. And the trumpets are very, very frightening. And we're going to look at them now. So chapter 8, verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and those were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. 
The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now, in Revelation, everything comes in sevens. There were seven churches. There were seven seals. There are seven trumpets. And we've heard four. And it's pretty bad. And these are pretty frightening. And then the eagle says, basically, that is nothing. You know, woe to you at the sound of the others. You think those four were bad? Just wait until what comes next. So um, what is happening in these, these trumpets? Well, this is not final judgment. Um, it looks a bit like final judgment where God brings his judgment, his wrath against the world for all of its evil. But if you look closely, you can tell that it is not final judgment. And there's a clue that comes again and again and again and again repeated. Anyone want to shout out on Zoom if you spotted? How do we know this is not the final judgment day? My clue is the mathematicians might get there first. I don't know if you do audience participation on Zoom, but I'm going to try it. So don't don't keep me in suspense too long. How do we know this isn't the final end? Just unmute yourself and shout out if you if you know. So the third of everything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's not everything. You you might remember with the seals, it was a quarter of everything, and now with the trumpets, it's a third of everything, and then. A bit later in Revelation, we'll get seven bowls and then that will be total and complete. But it's just a taste of God's judgment and it's picture language. We're not, you know, obviously actually a third of the stars haven't been thrown to the earth because, you know, you look in the astronomers at the Greenwich World Observatory looking up into the sky and, you know, they can count the same numbers they counted before. Um, but symbolically... Um, well, the prophets in the Old Testament spoke of a cosmic upheaval when the sun would go dark, then the moon would turn to blood, when the stars would be shaken. It's in the prophet Isaiah. Um, and then Jesus used the same image when he talked about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and talked about the sun going dark and the moon turned to blood. And then um, the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost quoted from the prophet Joel who spake of the same things, the sun being dark, the moon being turned to blood. It was it was imagery all the way through the Bible. God announced that there would be this great judgment. And this is the foretaste of it, a third of it. But it does speak of God's anger against this world as it's rebelled against him and as it's persecuted his people. How long, they say, Lord, how long before you will avenge your blood? And God smells the prayers and he casts down the censer filled with fire. And then God's servants, the, the angels with the trumpets, begin to blow them. I mean, it speaks of judgment in the natural world. 
Um, I remember there was a um, great controversy when there was that awful tsunami. I, I know it sounds that sounds a long time ago, a long time ago now, because we're on we're on our latest global disaster, which is a pandemic. But previously, a previous global disaster was a tsunami, uh, which in which many many people died, and there was a was it Westboro Baptist Church, some sort of sect in America where people said, oh, this is God's judgment because he hates gay people or something. You know, it was some very unchristian soundbite of an extremist Christian group that went all over the internet saying, you know, God's doing this to punish people. And they, they didn't speak for um, the Lord Jesus or for Orthodox Christianity. It was a, it was a sort of distasteful thing, which is why the papers, I guess, gave them so much publicity. Um, But although they were wrong to say God was targeting specific people, um, it wasn't entirely wrong to say it was a sign that God was angry. Why are there tsunamis? Why are there disasters? Why are there pandemics? Why is the world in turmoil? Well, because something is terribly wrong. Um, C.S. Lewis, the Christian writer, used to say that, or said in his famous essay, The Problem of Pain, he said that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Because, you know, imagine you rejected God, you turned your back on him, you didn't care about him, you didn't give him the time of day, you mistreated his people, and yet your life was just always successful. It's like you were living in an episode of The Truman Show. You know, nothing was wrong. The sun always shone. Um, you climbed right up the career ladder. All of your colleagues loved you, even as you were climbing the career ladder. Um, there was never any stress at work. You had a fantastic family life. You know, you had the best ever golf handicap. You know, everything's great. And then one day it's judgment day and you meet God and you discover that you've wronged him and rejected him and you're in terrible trouble. And you say, look, God, I didn't even realize. Like, you know, I thought everything was fine. Well, see, as Lewis said, um, pain or trouble in the world is like God's alarm call saying everything is not fine. God is angry at the way that we've treated him and his people. And so he gives these tangible signs of his anger in the natural world. Um, disasters, environmental catastrophism. We see those signs, don't we? Before we worried about the pandemic, we were, we were worried about extinction rebellion. I guess we'll be worried about that again afterwards, that, you know, the climate and, and things becoming extinct and global warming. And, well, those are a worry, but the Bible says those those are a warning sign by God that something is wrong. Where do these disasters come from? They come from God's servants sounding a trumpet to call the disasters on the world. Um, C.S. Lewis, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world, or just to slightly change it into revelation imagery. We might say pain is God's trumpet, or pain is four of God's trumpets to rouse a deaf world. Um, actually, there's a sign here in these first four trumpets that the um, it's not just disasters, but there's a kind of punishment that matches the crime about it. And, and the clue is um, that blood is mixed in with the disasters. So um, where is it? Verse seven, the first angel blew his trumpet. There followed hail and fire mixed with blood verse 8 the second angel blew his trumpet and a great mountain with friend of the sea burning with fire a third of the sea 
became blood. Now, um, you may recognize this image from the book of Exodus back in the time of Moses when God sent the plagues on Pharaoh. And one of the plagues was that the, the river Nile would turn to blood, which is obviously pretty scary and unpleasant and terrifying. But it wasn't just an arbitrary judgment. It was a fitting judgment because Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at the time, he was brutally oppressing God's people, had ordered um, a genocide. And Pharaoh said that if anyone were to find a, a Hebrew male baby, they were to throw it into the Nile. And so you might say that Pharaoh made the water run red with the blood of the Hebrew children. It's a terrible thing. And in judgment, God makes all of the water run, run red. So it's like God, God sees the, the terrible atrocities performed by mankind. And then in his anger, in his megaphone to wake us up, he gives us a taste of the consequences of those same disasters. Pharaoh threw babies into the Nile and it ran red. So God made the whole Nile run red. It's the same here, isn't it? That um, people are killing Christians. The blood of the martyrs cries out and then God throws down um, a fire mixed with blood. He turns the water to blood. Well, that's a start and it's pretty horrific, but it's not all. Because the, the eagle says, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. OK, so four down and um, three to go. Um, two to go this week and fasten your seatbelts because it's about to get a lot worse chapter nine the fifth angel blew his trumpet i saw a star falling from heaven to earth he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace now um, see the comparison here because <clears throat> we've already got incense rising to god uh, the incense rises um, from the prayers of the martyrs up to God's nostrils. But then the camera angle pans down and we go into this bottomless pit and from the bottomless pit up comes smoke. So it's a very, it's a sort of different kind of image, not the sweet smelling incense, but the foul smelling stench of this smoke. And verse three, from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads will, will look like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots, like horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and the power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a as a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, he is called 
Apollyon, and you look at the footnote, Apollyon means destroyer. That is frightening. And remember, this is not a video. It's an image. It's a Picasso, not Pantax. It's it's evil as you would picture it in a nightmare. And it's kind of like every bit of scary monster all added together. I remember when I was, I don't know how old, but seven or eight, maybe I, I designed a monster. And it's one of the things that my mum kept, you know, to go through along with my school books. And, you know, I had a very vivid imagination as eight or nine year olds do. And I'd combined all the bits of all the scary things I could find all into one super monster. And that, that's basically what happens in John's vision. Um, locusts with scorpions tails with women's hair with lion's teeth with iron breastplates and when they flap their wings it sounds like an army I mean that is pretty frightening it's a sort of composite terror picture I'm not especially scared of locusts I am quite scared of scorpions I was on holiday in Croatia memorably when a scorpion was found in someone's shoe and you know we'd never seen one before i think croatians are pretty chilled about them because they're, they're not actually that dangerous um, if you know what you're doing but we didn't know what we we're doing so there was a, you know, was a major catastrophe on this holiday um scorpions and they certainly hurt don't they and everyone knows that it's excruciating pain if they sting you um locusts i'm not so scared of because the only locusts i've encountered are um crunchy edible locusts because it's one of those novelty foods that people buy from one of the um, Asian supermarkets in the Covent Garden, I think, can say try one of these, and um, you know they're pretty good. Uh, but locusts in the first century are pretty scary because a locust means a million locusts means no harvest means starvation. I mean they could wipe out your whole food supply, and so combine the two: a locust mixed with a scorpion, as one writer calls them, a loco scorpion or a locorpion, a hybrid monster. And clearly it is um, a representation of evil, <clears throat> of demonic hordes. They come out of this bottomless pit. Their king is the destroyer, another name for the devil. But again, <clears throat> notice that God's angel is the one who blows the trumpet. And God's angel is the one who has the key that unlocks the pit even though this is a satanic thing it only is allowed um, under the sovereign rule of god but he does allow it god allows satan a certain amount of sway and it, it's limited he's not allowed to um, destroy the trees verse four he's not allowed to kill christians verse four but he is allowed to bring torment and pain and you might think, well, look, why would God do this? Why would God allow Satan sway over this world? It is his megaphone. He's saying, wake up. Something is wrong. And, you know, we do see, don't we, in London, demonic things. I don't mean that you have to go to seances with Ouija boards and be into the occult. I, I just mean you've got to read the Evening Standard about another teenager being murdered on the streets. I mean, every week you read that, don't you, almost? And doesn't it make you feel sick? And you think this is real evil in our city, and, and it is. And God wants us to, he'll allow us to experience a little bit of real evil. 
in the hope that we will realise just how wrong this world has gone, just how much trouble we're in for having rejected him. And it's in answer to this cry, Lord, how long before you bring justice? And God says, well, here's a taste of it now. And he blows the first trumpet, the second trumpet, the third trumpet, the fourth trumpet, and a third, a third, a third, a third, just this foretaste. And then the the eagle says, woe, woe, woe at the other trumpets. Then we hear the fifth trumpet and it's pretty bad. Then verse 12, the first woe has passed. Behold, two ways are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who'd been prepared for the hour, the day, the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted treats were twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the colour of fire and a sapphire and a sulphur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulphur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind were killed by fire and smoke and sulphur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads and by means of these they wound. I mean, if you thought the low-case scorpions were bad, then maybe the... Um, the lion horses with tails that are snakes are worse. I mean, the, <laughs> my godson had a field day during, during this. It's a frightening monster. Let's put it together where we got so far. We've got one final point. God's in charge. He calls the shots. His angels blow the trumpets. Why? In response to the... <laughs> The sweet smell of incense of the prayers of God's people saying, Lord, how long until you bring judgment, until you bring justice, until you avenge our blood? And it's not judgment day yet, but it's a taste of judgment day. God has put enough trouble into the world to show us that judgment day is coming. And then we hear trumpets of natural disasters and pandemics and tsunamis, and we hear trumpets of evil unleashed and terrible terrible evil and then comes the grim unexpected punchline verse 20 the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands they didn't give up worshiping demons they didn't give up idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor do they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual morality or their thefts. This is the frightening thing that God can bring trouble on the world and no one pays attention, or at least, I mean, people suffer, but it doesn't occur to people to turn back to God. And I think that for me, that has been one of the most astonishing things about this pandemic. You'd think that the whole global economy in crisis. Uh, you'd think that the whole global healthcare system in crisis, you think that many people, almost everyone maybe in the world, knowing somebody who has died, you'd think, wow, what would it take to convince us that we were in trouble? And you compare to past disasters, um, the Black Death or the bubonic plague or the Great Fire of London, and people turned to God and cried out to God, Lord, have mercy on us, forgive us. For, for the evil that we've done. 
And you look at this one, and I mean, there's been lots of responses in terms of the government and in terms of trust in the vaccine and you know, all sorts of responses, but very little by way of repentance, calling it. And that's what John, that's what Revelation chapter eight and nine anticipates. Great horrors, but still people don't turn back. And that, that's a kind of depressing end to note, end, note to end on, isn't it? Except it's not quite the end because this isn't the end of the section and you'll be carrying on in chapter 9, 10 and 11 and you must come back because there's something that happens in chapter 10 that does make the difference. Um, suffering by itself does not rouse a deaf world. C.S. Lewis was wrong. Pain does not wake people up. But in chapter 10, we add to the pain the witness to the Christian gospel, the gospel of hope and forgiveness and a new world free from suffering. And it turns out if you put the two together, then people's lives can be changed. If life is hard, lots of people are finding life hard right now. They're not turning back to God. But if you combine life being hard with the message of hope of the gospel, a hope of forgiveness, a hope of peace, a hope of a restored world that is the power to turn the world around and so please i mean this is the biggest cliffhanger i'm I've kind of given away the cliffhanger because i couldn't bear to leave it on this note but um six trumpets in we've got one more to blow but before the seventh trumpet comes the thing that makes all the difference the witness of the christian a witness of hope and of peace i'm going to leave some prayer and then we're going to stop Heavenly Father, we thank you for this extraordinarily frightening and vivid vision that you gave to John. Thank you for showing us, Lord, that behind lots of trouble in the world is your attempt to wake people up and to prepare them for the real judgment day with just this, this brief foretaste of it. And Lord, we see that people are heedless. People have got their fingers in their ears. They don't listen. We pray, Lord, that um, for those of us who are Christians, you'd help us to add to the suffering of the moment the message of hope in the Christian gospel that might turn people's lives around. For Jesus' sake, amen.